Hello, I'm Dr. Stephen Hassan with another episode of the Influence Continuum. And today's guest is Dr. Laura Anderson, who's written a very important book, I think, for a lot of my listeners. Uh, it's called When Religion Hurts You. Here is the book for the people who see the video, Healing from Religious Trauma and the Impact of High Control Religion. And uh, Dr. Anderson will get into your story and how you got interested in this topic, but you are the founder and director of uh, the Center for Trauma Resolution and Recovery, an online coaching company. You're based in Tennessee. And um, and you're very, for me, very uh, have a different angle that I think is very important, which is um, counter to one of my other guests previously, Darren Slade, who went to Liberty for his doctorate, but is an avowed atheist and deconstructs mm -hmm. all of Christianity. For you, you mirror more my sensibilities and mentalities that there are healthy religions and unhealthy ones and health, mm -hmm. you know, and the healthy ones mm -hmm. are based on informed consent and love and conscience and critical mm -hmm. thinking and encouraging people to think for themselves. So, um, so let me just add that, um, you know, your book is a valuable addition to the literature because a lot of people have been raised, and we'll get into your mm -hmm. story in a second, uh, in a very strong religious Christian, in particular in the United States, upbringing and have not had a positive experience with religion. Mm -hmm. is, that, is that safe to say? I think so. Yeah. If if online platforms tell us anything, I think that's safe to say. Great. Yeah. <laughs> and so for this podcast, would you prefer that I call you Dr. Anderson or Laura? Okay. Cause I'm just call me Laura. I'm good with yep. Steve also. <laughs> yes. Fantastic. Perfect. Yeah. So let's jump mm -hmm. in and talk mm -hmm. about just how you got interested in this topic. And then yeah. we can go from there and cover some very important topics. Yeah. Wonderful. Well, as I know you know, my professional life is inspired by my personal life. Yep. I think you get that as well. Yep. Um, yes, I grew up in this. I, there is not a day in my life that I wasn't a part of fundamentalist Christianity mm -hmm. um, from the moment I was born. I was in a ministry family. My dad was the director at a fundamentalist Christian camp where we lived on site all year round, which in some ways was fun in games. Every kid loves to have a horse corral and a ropes course in their backyard. But as you can imagine, you know, those it's very isolated. There is that bubble kind of mentality. Yep. Um, there's a lot of rules, not as much like oversight from like outside sources and things like that. Mm -hmm. Um, and so that was that was my normal. That was my upbringing. Um, we also had a church that mirrored those same beliefs and doctrines that we were uh, involved with. But because camp was such a big part of the life, you know, we could only be involved, you know, like the non-summer months of the years. Um, mm -hmm. And so, so we did that. I graduated from high school. I had a lot of academic and athletic and creative accolades that would have allowed me to get into. Uh, my my pick of a college, but given that I knew my 
my role, the pinnacle of my life would be to be a wife and a mother, I was discouraged from going to, you know, a four-year college and racking up student debt because you don't need a degree to be a mom, you know, or at least that's, that's what I heard. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. And that's not to say anything negative about anybody who has chosen that to be at home or anything like that. It was just, that was the only choice. Um, And so- And that's typical of very very. fundamentalist Jewish, Christian, and Muslims Mm -hmm. that women Mm -hmm. are to be the caregivers, the mothers, and, you know, forget higher education or having a career. That's not, that's not an option. Yes. And I guess I want to just say to my listeners, you know, there's a whole spectrum of, Mm -hmm. of, um, religious commitment Mm-hmm. And uh, f- ranging from very healthy, respecting the individuality, including if you're gay, uh, mm-hmm. over to you know middle, and where you know gay being gay is a sin, and you need right. to go to camps to be brainwashed, which I'm very critical of conversion therapy, mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. Uh, ostracizing and literally kicking out family members who are yeah. gay, etc. So mm-hmm. I just want everybody to have an open mind and 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 really take in Laura's journey because mm-hmm. uh, it's an extraordinary one and I and I love that yeah, you've become a you. therapist and coach and yeah. want to help other people <laughs> heal. Yeah. So yeah. um thank you. So say a little bit more about what turned even more negative with you in your mm-hmm. in your experience with religion that hurt you. Yeah, yeah. So when I um, graduated from high school, I was approached by one of the pastors of the church that I went to to work with the youth group, which I thought was going to be terrible because I did not want to work with middle school youth kids. Um, and uh, but I was kind of coerced into it that, you know, using that language of, you know, God told me you would be this, you know, great leader, mm-hmm. right? Now, granted, I only loosely knew who this person was because I had siblings who were in the youth group. I had never had any personal interactions, but I also knew that with spiritual authority, you're not supposed to question that. That's not up for debate. That's just like you would be questioning God. And so despite everything inside of me was like, don't do it. Like you don't want to work with sixth grade girls. You know, like I was like, okay, I'll do this. And so I I got involved and um, eventually actually was hired on as a paid staff member to the church. I started off as an assistant and kind of worked my way into a youth coordinator role, which was the highest I could go since I was a woman. Um, I was doing all of the same tasks as the male youth director, but was being paid less, less title, all that, that stuff. (laughs) Yes. Yes. And so um, I can really vividly remember the first overt experience of spiritual abuse, though I did not have the language at the time. I, until that point, I would say that it was more covert in doctrine and values and practice, whereas this experience that I write about in the book was very overt. Mm-hmm. 
And, um, you know, I had a pastor who is screaming at me, all of these things to the point where I was really kind of, it was gaslighting. I was like, am I the crazy one? Like, did I actually do this thing that he said that I did? Mm. And, um, and I knew that I hadn't, but I also knew that if I didn't go along with him, my job was at stake and that was not something I could give up at that point. Mm -hmm. And I remember feeling it in my body, but again, I did not have language. I did not, and I'd been taught for years, your body's a liar. You know, you, you it's sinful. Very important point. Can right. I just uh, highlight yeah. this? Mm-hmm. Because you've already said in your body, mm-hmm. you knew you didn't want to do this, but you were yes. supposed to. And the, um, yes. the I really do believe now after all mm-hmm. these decades as a therapist that humans are embodied minds and that mm-hmm. our bodies are expressions of our mind and our spirit. Yeah. And we need to listen to our bodies. <laughs> when we don't, yes. we get into a lot of trouble. So please continue. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So I continued on in that atmosphere. And a couple years into it, I just, there was some experiences that happened where the abuse just started getting more overt and more consistent. Mm-hmm. As we know, like in cycles of, you know, violence and power and control, it, it gets more overt over time. And it was, it was basically everything, every aspect of my life was being controlled. Yeah. And, um, I, again, I could feel it. I didn't have words for it, but I knew I had to get out. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'd actually planned on my experience quote unquote, excuse to get out was to go back to school. I wanted to go back to get my um, master's in marriage and family therapy. And I knew that would be an acceptable way to kind of leave everything behind. Mm -hmm. But because of that control piece, the, the people, the leaders at the church actually contacted like the jobs that I was applying to the schools I was applying to and essentially blacklisted me and said, do not hire her, do not accept her to your schools, which left me then not being able to go anywhere, trying to get out and being unable to, I did still quit my job. I was like, I was done with that. Um, and I ended up working at a community college, which was the first time that I'd had an experience uh, in my life, but especially as an adult, as a professional in the world where they didn't care what I did on the weekends. And as long as I was in business professional, you know, like it didn't matter right. what I wore and, and they weren't commenting on my body or the things that I wore as a, as you know, being sinful, I was respected mm-hmm. for the things that I did. Mm-hmm. They were excited about the leadership positions I could take. And though I did not like the job, it was such a difference between what I had grown up in and what I was experiencing that it allowed me to kind of start to crack open that I don't think something's right here. And that was, gosh, 18 years ago now. Mm -hmm. And I did end up going back to school. And and my first day in classes, I was in an ethics course and the professor said something and I thought, wow, like that is literally the opposite of what I have ever been taught. And if that's true, there's a lot that I have to really pull apart. But I was ready, at least like internally. I was like, I can ask these questions internally. I knew I couldn't act out on certain things. I couldn't try different things, wear different things, that sort of thing. But I knew that I could give myself permission to go at least a certain distance in my mind. Um, 
And I decided that I would move after I got my degree, which I did because I I needed a degree that allowed me the permission to move anywhere. I could get a job wherever I went. That was very important to me. And, um, and so I did like two months after I graduated, I moved to Nashville. Um, I had some contacts here, so I wouldn't be by myself. And that's where I would say I kind of engaged in a more like, um, overt kind of deconstruction where I was able to go to different churches at the time or, you know, try different kind of things on essentially and, and relate differently to people and engage with different relationships and things like that. And, um, ended up at a Southern Baptist church, which, which they build themselves as progressive. I don't know that that those, those words go together, but, um, but it was a, a church that I was able to ask questions at without my salvation being questioned, which was brand new for me to be able to say, I, I'm curious about this. Tell me more. Um, so I look at that as a really good stepping stone, but ultimately it led me out. Mm-hmm. So can I ask, so were you mm-hmm. homeschooled when you grew up on the camp? So interestingly, I was not. Okay. And there's two reasons for that. Uh, well, a couple of reasons. My mother is an educator. She was trained to be a teacher. So she understood the value of education. I grew up in a blue state that had an excellent education program. Um, and so my my, it was very uncommon for people to go uh, to private schools or homeschool. But more than that, we really needed my mom to work because camps don't pay that much. Great. Um, <laughs> Just wanted to clarify because yeah. a lot of people coming yeah. from fundamentalist Christians are mm-hmm. homeschooled. They don't yes. have the benefit of a public education, much less a mom who's an educator professionally. Mm -hmm. The other question Mm -hmm. I just want to touch on, were you corporately punished? Because that's another theme that that I've encountered. Yeah, yes, I was. I know that I've heard stories where much worse has happened, but I also understand that um, when you are being hit as a child, your body is not able to determine that it's quote unquote good because it's your parents and it's discipline versus assault. It's all assault. Exactly. Um, I really wanted to highlight this because Mm -hmm. America is one of the few countries that it isn't illegal to Mm -hmm. hit kids and and physically discipline them. And I think it's the foundation for why we have such a violence problem in the United Mm -hmm. States because so many people were hit as a kid and they want to do to their Mm -hmm. kids what their parents did to them. And a lot of it right. comes from, you know, Orthodox, Judaism, mm-hmm. Christianity, Islam. But we know mm-hmm. in terms of trauma, it's really bad for children's yes. brains to have that. Absolutely. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. please continue. This is really important yeah. stuff because we want to we want to yeah. offer uh, anyone mm-hmm. who's resonating with any part of mm-hmm. your story, we want them to read your book and learn about what you mm-hmm. have professionally learned <laughs> needs to happen <laughs> yeah. for people to recover, right, from religious yeah. trauma. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so that time of asking questions while still in the church was important to me. Yep. Um, it was a nice stepping stone. And I was actually in a relationship with somebody, a romantic relationship at the time that again, had kind of some features of like being able to ask questions and, you know, that person joining me kind of on this journey, but it really did end up 
to be a very abusive relationship, um, domestic violence and intimate partner violence, all of that kind of described what my relationship was. And interestingly, when I got out of that relationship, I was looking through my journals one night and I realized that I couldn't tell like what were the things that my partner had said and what were the things that like God or spiritual leaders had said, Mm. they were one in the same. Mm. And that was very interesting to me to go like, huh, that that's interesting. So when he would call me names or tell me I was stupid or say I was not worthy of certain things, that was not difficult for me to believe because I had grown up believing that right. that's who God saw me as. And so it was interesting to see how, like how that translated then into real life, but then also to use what I knew about domestic violence and intimate partner relationships and say, you know what, I think that this is what's happening in some of these high control religions as well. And I would say that was probably the start of my professional work in terms of like moving towards uh, working with religious trauma. I was already a therapist at the time. I worked a lot with domestic violence clients Mm. and resonated on the personal level because that had been my relationship, but then also really started to see the crossover between um, religion and domestic violence, as well as, of course, religion using God in order to keep people in abusive and domestically violent relationships. So I was seeing a lot of crossovers in my own practice. People are like landing in my office, um, you know, just kind of like, I I don't know how they landed there, but they got there. And I was just starting to notice these themes. And that's where I started really working with a lot of spiritual abuse, religious trauma. I didn't advertise myself as much. This is like pre-2015, 2016, you know, where social media was not something that we used, right? Right. Like it, it wasn't really until Trump, you know, what came onto the circuit yeah. that people really started using social media as a way to connect, yep. as a way to share their stories, as a way to ask questions. And so for me, I'd already been out of this for, you know, seven, eight years at the, that point. But to see this outflux of people who were all having the same stories, like removed so much shame because religion, high control religion has this way of making you believe that if you don't believe this, there's something wrong with you. Absolutely. You're the only one, right? All mind controllers do that. There's something wrong with you, not me, not the doctrine or whatever. Can I just add that there's a concept called coercive control that Evan Mm -hmm. Stark uh, wrote Mm -hmm. about that is now illegal in the UK and in California that's about domestic abuse. And of Mm -hmm. course, Mm self-plug for a minute, my bite model uh, has been Mm -hmm. used since 1988 for domestic Mm -hmm. abuse survivors to go, wait a minute, my ex-husband was doing behavior, information, mm-hmm. thought, and emotional control. So right. just to connect yeah. those dots yeah. for a moment. Yeah. It's like clinically speaking, and I'm sure you found this too, there's a very natural playbook. They all do the same thing. Yep. There's not a lot of difference. They all have these very specific components. Right you know, to it. And so I think that was what was so helpful for me in understanding domestic violence and moving that over into the religious power and control pieces, because it just 
it it, it just was not difficult. Right. <laughs> no, just say that. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> but I'll just say because I've had so many former clients over the years who were raised in the Jehovah's Witnesses, for example. Yes. That mm -hmm. um, were abused by their husbands or got out and yeah. then got into a domestic controlling thing. And yes. it took them a while to understand mm -hmm. this isn't normal. This is not healthy. Yeah. It's not about you. Right. And this exposure that you're describing from being in college and getting an education mm -hmm. and being in the real world then offers mm -hmm. a way to reality mm -hmm. test of, wait a minute, yes. there's a healthier way to be in the planet and oh, to be a woman mm -hmm. uh, and to be in my yes. body. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So yeah. kudos to yeah. you. So um, we can go in many different directions, but I, I'm intrigued because mm -hmm. you brought up Trump. And of course, I wrote a book mm -hmm. on Trump and yep. I wrote about how many religious authoritarian cults have leaders who tell their followers to, that yeah. God wants Trump. Yes, he's a sinner, but he's our sinner. Mm -hmm. Can you comment at all on that before we get a little bit further yeah. into the how you help people specifically heal from trauma? Yeah. Well, I think it actually goes right into oh, that okay. because I think, you know, in 2016, we started to see kind of a mass exodus of people coming out of churches, especially those that were very fundamentalist, high control, things like that, because they were confused and rightfully so. All these things that they had been taught for years and decades about character, about who is Jesus, who has got, what are the principles for right living and things like that all of a sudden seemed to be discarded for quote unquote God's man. Right. And I think people were rightfully confused as to like, how did we get here? I've spent my whole life following this and now we're supporting this character who is very different. Well, cheating on the, his wives yeah. and being with <laughs> yeah. prostitutes and paying them off right. and, and yeah. lying pathologically and being narcissist, yes. not really showing any yes. love for the downtrodden, mm -hmm. the weak, the poor, the sick. Right. Yeah. The exact opposite right. of what we had been taught. And so I think people were rightfully disillusioned mm -hmm. by that. They started to leave churches. They started to ask questions. Mm -hmm. That's where we saw a lot of people coming to social media, finding out that many other people were asking the same questions, which was wonderful. The community piece of that can be incredibly helpful. Yeah. And on the other hand, they also were demonstrating a lot of symptoms of trauma that was unaddressed right. and in a lot of cases unknown, because I think colloquially speaking, most people are like, oh, religious trauma equals clergy sexual abuse. And that's kind of, you know, where it stops are very extreme cult practices, extreme sacrificial practices, but, you know, not, not in like the everyday church, right? Yeah. You know, and, and so I think what people were seeing is they maybe didn't have those experiences, but their bodies were telling a very different story. Right. And perhaps they would, you know, reject certain beliefs, but then their body was still responding as if that was true. 
And that's what I noticed starting to come into my office Mm -hmm. was people who were getting very triggered, who were very activated all the time, who were really struggling in relationships and having a lot of physiological and psychological issues, really demonstrating the symptoms of trauma that we would know in a clinical sense, um, but not really having a lot of language to put around that Mm -hmm. and, and understanding of what was happening. And that's where I kind of was like, Okay, we, we got to start doing something about this. Good for you. you. Know? <laughs> Good for you. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, so uh, this is very important because I think mm. people need to, of course, they need to be in their body in the here and now, but understanding mm-hmm. your history and mm-hmm. understanding that if you were corporally punished, you're going to have mm-hmm. a very different response to authority than if you had a parent who is authoritative rather than authoritarian Mm -hmm. and who Mm -hmm. described and explained to you as a child why you the rule exists and and given a a verbal uh, and Mm -hmm. non-physical discipline, right? Whether it's Mm -hmm. a timeout or- or, or, Yeah, age-appropriate. Age-appropriate, developmentally appropriate Mm -hmm. stuff. And so- just mm-hmm. teaching people what's normal and healthy is a really mm-hmm. valuable exercise. Huge. Yeah. Yeah. And as you know, you know, like so many people, they do this cognitive deconstruction work, which of course is incredibly important. We have to untangle why we believe these things and how we got here and and start believing other things, doing other things, having values. But, you know, what I think a lot of people didn't recognize initially is that trauma, you know, isn't in your brain, it's in your body, it's it's residing in your body. And so, you know, I, there's a lot of people, I'm sure you're very aware of purity culture, people who are going, hey, we, I've adopted new practices, safe consensual sex is okay, it's not sinful. And yet then their body has having a very different experience where maybe there's, you know, a lot of sexual pain, guilt, shame, disgust, you know, and they're kind of like, wait a second, I don't believe that anymore, though. Why Why is this happening? Right. In fact, we we have research now that is like coming out in, in, it's fascinating and just sad and so sad, you know, talking about how a lot of women especially are, you know, demonstrating the same physiological and psychological uh, symptoms as individuals who are sexually assaulted. Mm-hmm. And- it is because of how that is living in their body, even if they were never physically yep. sexually assaulted. Yep. Yeah. I would just add from my point of view, I agree mm-hmm. with what you said, with the exception that our brain is part of our body. Well, sure. Of course. <laughs> so, yes. It just, yeah. But, our our yes. yes. Our brain doesn't put a timestamp on it and say, oh, that's in the past. So we're good now. Our brain yeah, exactly. operates as if it's actually happening. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, yeah. So um, mm-hmm. talk to me about um, how you somebody contacts you and says, Laura, help. Mm. Like walk us yeah. through some of the approaches yeah. that you think mm-hmm. the public should understand that they may need yeah. to contact you and go, I need to, mm-hmm. I need to work on this. <laughs> yeah. Well, I am a very eclectic therapist and coach, meaning I don't believe 
that one thing works for every single person. Me too. You know, what works for me may or may not work for you, vice versa. Right. But I really do hang my hat on the recognition of internal safety, stability, resources coming from inside of yourself. Yep. I believe that that is foundational to the trauma resolution process yep. in so, I'm not in so many, in every yep. cult and high control religion and fundamentalism, we are di- divorced from our body and outsourcing everything, our sense of worth, our connection, what is right and wrong, um, how we know if we belong. And we are told to not trust ourselves. And so that coming home piece to your body and understanding that we do have internal resources to help us navigate situations um, is so important. And so that is usually where I start. Now, what I will say is I think probably every single one of my clients comes in with more of the cognitive deconstruction stuff. I got to understand what happened to me. Right. But that's often a door into some of the other stuff. I think stuff. the intellectual yeah. thing is the safest thing first. And of then course. you deal with yes. the emotional and the physiological mm-hmm. uh, teaching Absolutely. people about triggers. But talk, talk mm-hmm. about... Um, more about about your process with people. So explaining, mm-hmm. yep. you know, we want an internal locus of control for your mm-hmm. being, not an external locus of control. That's my words, but that you mm-hmm. said exactly that. Yeah. And yep. and talk about more about this this journey that people can get to where they're healthy mm-hmm. and that they yeah. you know they're not yeah. torn, they're not conflicted, they're mm-hmm. not having these echoes from their past that they're doing a mm-hmm. sin or something. Right. Yeah. You know, um, I really like to draw on some of the research and uh, writing that has been done on um, complex trauma, complex PTSD. Mm-hmm. I think we can take a lot from that. And the reason I use that is because oftentimes with com- when we're talking about complex trauma, we're not necessarily talking about being able to resolve every single incident of overwhelm and danger and threat that happened because that would take the rest of our lives and we don't even know it consciously most of the time, Mm. you know, like stuff just comes up. Right. But I love the work of, um, like Janina Fisher, who talks about the living legacy of trauma. So it's this idea of integrating, of bringing, of recognizing when my body feels like it's in the past and how do we bring it into the present? I always tell my clients, it's not a matter of if you get triggered, it's when, but it's having different resources to navigate those triggers, being able to lean into safety and connection and things like that. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm always very careful to say like doing trauma work is not necessarily going to mean that you never think about this again. You're never impacted by this again, but it can decrease the intensity. Mm -hmm. It can increase the kind of the, the emotional activation behind it and give you the tools and skills to navigate it when there is that intensity. Mm. The other thing I like to talk about with my clients a lot is the idea of accommodations. Mm -hmm. So when we talk about complex trauma, there are certain things that may not go back to quote unquote normal, whatever that even is, right? But it's this recognition I look at functionality as the baseline. Like if something's still keeping you from being functional, then you need to address Mm it and- yeah. So we, we make accommodations for those mm-hmm. things. So we go, you know, for me, like I have a lot of social uh, phobias and fears now. I, I, 
going to new places, um, being in certain types of places because of what I've experienced is not necessarily the most pleasant thing. However, I'm not interested in just staying at home. So I make accommodations. I look, where are the parking lots? And okay, I'm going to go to this restaurant. So what is the menu? And what does the restaurant look like on the inside? And who am I going with? And can I maybe share that, hey, I get really anxious in these spaces and maybe they can be a source of support to Mm. me. And that that doesn't mean that I'm not healed or healing. It means that I actually know exactly what I mm-hmm. need in order to be present and feel safe mm-hmm. in these situations. Mm-hmm. And so I look at that as similar to how we might with like chronic illness or chronic disease, where we make accommodations and we say, these are some of the things that I need in order to function most optimally. Mm-hmm. Um, because I, I think that even though we may have triggers throughout the rest of our lives, I don't think that has to be how we identify. I think the goal of trauma healing is living, is actually living in this world. And so it means that we have the tools then to navigate the ups and downs uh, of being a human. Um, And I think that's really important because it it allows people then when overwhelm and and triggers happen, it doesn't mean that the work they've done is negated. It simply means we actually lean into it a little bit more and use the tools that we've used to bring us back into the present moment and find that sense of safety again. Okay. I I have a little different orientation therapeutically, but this is a podcast to promote your work. But for me, mm-hmm. I very much emphasize our neuroplasticity and neurogenesis sure. yeah. and how we can identify triggers, neutralize them by reprogramming yes. the stimuli mm-hmm. to react the way we want to. But the critical mm-hmm. you know, thing for me, and I want to ask you your opinion, but the critical um, frame for me in my work was learning about dissociative disorders and, and being trained yeah. in that. Mm-hmm. and. Basically, Mm -hmm. exit counseling the younger Steve, who is the Mooney, (laughs) and redoing (laughs) my personal history so that that happened to the younger Steve, but the real Steve that's in the here and now, he's he's done Mm -hmm. with all that stuff. Yeah, yeah. I really... That when I um, started kind of leaning into like uh, Janina Fisher, oh no, Vander Hart, like that dissociative identity disorder not otherwise specified, yep. that was such helpful language and um, concept organization. Yep. It really fit for me personally. That was a game changer yep. in my own process of healing. And I noticed that my clients really resonate with it as well. It seems to really help them understand what has happened to them and what still sometimes happens in their lived day-to-day experience. Um, and I think if we can destigmatize that, I think a lot of people would really resonate with that. And, and to recognize like DIDNOS, that's very common for people coming out of these high control environments. Well, that DID is, how you had to survive. Is, is, is a more extreme form of dissociative sure, sure, sure. disorder than mm-hmm. 300.15, what we're talking about. Right. But the, mm-hmm. the, the, the critical thing is also... There's so much cult propaganda out there that brainwashing doesn't yeah. exist, or we can't call mm-hmm. a group a cult. It's a new religious movement, which was just a PR <laughs> move to try to mm-hmm. neutralize the bad, you know, mm-hmm. the bad behaviors and the criminal conduct yeah. and such. But I really think it's important to to give people acknowledged frames like the American Psychiatric Association Diagnostic Statistical Manual Mm -hmm. says 
this is a real thing. See, it says brainwashing mm -hmm. and mind control and cults and and all of that. Mm -hmm. It really it helps people get yeah. normalized. Again, that mm -hmm. it's a it's a mental health yeah. disorder and not them. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that's exactly it, right? It's so easy. I mean, because part of the ways that high control groups function is making it all about your problems. What is wrong with you? So if anything is wrong, you are trained to believe it must be a deficiency within you. When we can offer compassion, decrease shame and go, no, actually, this is the way that your body learned to survive in really awful circumstances. Right. And, and there's a way out, there's a way towards healing. Um, that, it doesn't take everything away, but it sure does help. It it really decreases the shame that people hold to know that, yeah, this is not, this isn't something wrong with me. Great. So coming back to mm -hmm. when religion hurts yes. you and your new book, um, mm -hmm. how do, would you answer a podcast question? Um, what's the difference between religious trauma and other types of trauma? Mm. So in some ways, I would say not much is different. Okay. I believe religious trauma is trauma. Yep. But I do believe that the word religious can act as a bit of like an adjective mm -hmm. that helps us understand the context mm -hmm. where the trauma resulted from. So when it comes to resolving trauma in your body, that's going to look very similar to from the war veteran to the, you know, uh, developmental trauma to religious trauma. Yep. But the recovery piece and understanding some of the uniquenesses of religious trauma. So we're going to be working on some different things is different than you would with the soldier coming right. back from war, right? And I think that's where it's important. And I think that's actually where we can lean in so that there is more help accessible. I think ideally somebody coming out of a situation like this would be like, I need a person who is well-versed in religious trauma, who knows all the ins and outs, who, you know, doesn't believe like that anymore, whatever, and, and you know, has all these credentials. And I'm like, well, yes, that would be probably very nice to find. But yet, if you have somebody who understands trauma resolution, how to resolve that in your body, um, you can go to anybody. Um, now, the recovery piece, I think, is a little bit different. I think that's where it does I'm biased. actually- I think you have an advantage because you've lived it. And I have an sure. advantage than mm -hmm. just anybody who's trauma-informed. Yeah. Right. And I will say that is why, like, the company that I started, I think that is one of the positives to mm -hmm. it because clients come in and they don't have to convince us that it was that bad. They don't have to educate us on the ins and outs of what happened. I mean, yes, there's some differences, but overall there's a lot of similarity. Right. They don't have to, you know, explain the hierarchy and the power and control. It's like, yeah, we get that. Yeah. So instead of starting at the convincing point, we're starting at a very different point because yeah, I, I think that you're right. We do have different understandings because of lived experiences. And it doesn't mean that somebody who doesn't have that lived experience cannot be useful and effective. They certainly can. But there is something, when you share some of that lived experience, there's something that it's changes. It's something additional. And your role modeling yeah. that you've, you know, you've, right. you've recovered. Yeah. So talk yeah. to us about why you don't think atheism is the remedy <laughs> to religious abuse. Yes, I could get on a soapbox for yeah, this. Yeah, let's, um, let's spend a few minutes <laughs> unpacking this yeah. because I share that, that perspective. Mm -hmm, that. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, I I always like to make it clear I am not anti-religion. I am anti-harm. I am anti-abuse, anti-power and control, oppression, all those mm-hmm. things. Um, but yeah, to suggest that atheism is the cure for religious trauma, I mean, it negates a whole host of mind and body things, first of all. But it also becomes its own form of fundamentalism on the other side of the spectrum. Mm -hmm. You're not really actually changing that much. You're just changing the words that are coming out of your Mm. mouth. But it's not changing the way you think. It's not changing the way you feel or interact or the decibels with which you speak your message. Mm -hmm. It's, It's just different words. And I don't think that it addresses trauma on a physiological level. I don't think it addresses mental health on a physiological level and sometimes not even on a cognitive level. Um, I just think it's incredibly reductionistic and it's very prescriptive as well. It's assuming that I know what is best for you and it is that you should not have any sort of a higher power. That feels very arrogant to me to suggest that I would know what's best for you in terms of how your spiritual life should look. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, all, all yeah. of that. That's what so. I, I, I mean, there that. are people yeah. whose religion, even though they're mm-hmm. atheists, their religion yes. is atheism, mm-hmm. and they mm-hmm. want to like combat me, be combative yeah. with me, and say all religions are cults, Dave. And <laughs> and I say beg to differ, and they're like, nope, mm-hmm. there it's all nonsense, and 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 mm-hmm. they say, who can believe in a guy with a beard floating in the clouds? And yeah. I'm like, I don't. Mm-hmm. That's not my faith. Yeah. <laughs> but mm-hmm. I'm still a faith. I yeah. like to pray. I like to to mm-hmm. sing holy songs. I like to daven. Yeah. I like to study Torah. I'm Jewish, obviously, but mm-hmm. I have very, very close, good friends who are very religious Christians or Muslims, and they're not yes. oppressive, yeah. and they don't take away everyone else's free will or try to make them feel like right. they're less than because of their mm-hmm. their life of faith. Mm-hmm. It's based on love mm-hmm. and, 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 and compassion, yeah. right? Yeah, it is. It. I mean, I feel like that's what it should have been from the start yeah. anyways, you know, but it is religion often causes us to not see people as humans. And when we can come back to that posture of humanity, it does allow for things like compassion and love and actual genuine connection that we're connected because we see the human in each other versus connected because we hold a similar belief on something that may change tomorrow or may not. And, and to have my relationship to you only be based on because of that similarity doesn't actually, that's not really a relationship. That's it's, it's a transaction. Yeah. Yeah. So talk to me about your clients who leave a high control religion Mm-hmm. And how they have difficulty. Some of them will maybe excommunicated or shunned or disfellowship. Yeah. Others not, mm-hmm. but they have a real mm-hmm. difficulty in knowing how to navigate yeah. those personal relationships. Let's share some of your wisdom yeah. and advice. Yeah. You know, in my book, there is one chapter that I get emotional whenever I talk about or read it or hear it or anything. And it is the chapter on relationships. Um, And it is because I find relationships to be so central and core to who we are as humans. And so when, you know, and, and that's part of what the mind F is in cults and in religions is that they use the language of relationship to harm Mm -hmm. you. And so 
when we come out of those, it's very natural. It's a human tendency to want to, to, you know, keep ourselves protected from that, to isolate from that, to withdraw or to defend aggressively certain things so that we do not get hurt again, because being hurt in the context of relationships is so painful. And, and yet all the trauma healing research says we need relationships to heal. (laughs) And so it is, you know, it's hard when it when we're coming out of these high control groups and it is our families the people who are quote unquote supposed to love us no matter what that betrayal is so huge and i never want to minimize it or gloss over it by saying oh get a chosen family or anything like mm-hmm. that there is real validity in needing to grieve that yeah. and maybe grieve that for the rest of your life even mm-hmm. of just of be there is a sadness a deep sadness and so i think part of the work that i do or my my colleagues do with clients is leaning into that grief mm-hmm. and to say like it makes sense that you're sad and upset and angry about this because those were the people that mattered the most to you and the betrayal does hurt so much. And so, you know, there, there are the practical things of course, of looking for how do we develop some different relational skills and communication and boundaries and things like that. And then there are the grief pieces. And then there's the practice pieces where we have to actually lean into the relationship because of what we just talked about relationship being so essential. And so I, I really lean on the concept of titration there where just teeny tiny little bits so that we're not overwhelming ourselves. But we are putting ourselves out there a little bit. And maybe it doesn't even start with a human. Maybe it starts with a pet. And you just learn how to relate to another living being. Maybe it's sitting in a coffee shop and just letting people be around you. Mm -hmm. And maybe it's then smiling at somebody in a coffee shop. And, you know, and it's working into that versus, you know, jumping into a relationship because that would be very scary. Mm -hmm. Um, And yet that is one of the biggest gifts that we get when we do this work is it's relationships. Mm -hmm. It's, you know, a relationship, yes, with yourself, but it is relationships with other people. And it, and it may always be sad that we don't have the friends and family that we did while in that group, or maybe they've chosen to distance themselves for a long time or for forever. We do not have to negate the pain or sadness of that in order to lean into what we can have in terms of beautiful relationship in the present. Uh, it is such a gift that we get right. from doing this work. Right. So yeah. the, the, uh, there is groups that will formally kick you out and mm-hmm. say, unless you come back yes. and believe what we believe, then you're no longer yep. a real person or you're possessed mm-hmm. by demons. Um, that the Moonies mm-hmm. were very big into demon possession as yeah. a lot of these yeah. new apostolic reformation cults are very satan mm-hmm. satan mm-hmm. is stronger than god in these groups right and I know. and and yes. they they use fear and phobia indoctrination mm. to uh to control mm-hmm. people and uh to yeah. yes. to to understand yeah. wait a minute if i believe in god and god is almighty why am i afraid of demon possession mm-hmm. <laughs> It makes so much sense on the outside of that, right? Where you're like, huh, yeah, that's not make that's not matching up. And yet when you're in it, it feels very real. Yep. There there isn't necessarily this space to be able to see something different. Yep. 
but yeah. uh, so, but the, the 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 whole idea of love being stronger than fear or mind control mm -hmm. is something I keep mm -hmm. repeating over and over because yeah. it was my family's love and their willingness to uh, help hire people to do an intervention with me when the time yes. came that mm -hmm. liberated me. I don't know that mm -hmm. I would have exited. I'm, I still could be yeah. in the Moonies to this day. Because some of my <laughs> yeah. friends from back mm -hmm. then are still mm -hmm. there, and they're they're miserable, wow. and uh, I yeah. know they're miserable, and the the group continues mm -hmm. to this day. Mm. But let's yeah. let's yeah. talk. Let's pick another subject that's really important for folks to navigate, mm -hmm. and the whole idea of Armageddon and the fear <laughs> that we're in the end times, and therefore. Yes why go to graduate school or why yes. have mm -hmm. a family with children if mm -hmm. the end times are coming and there's so yes. many you know of these ilk wanting a middle eastern war mm -hmm. to fulfill biblical prophecy it's so scary to me yeah so talk mm -hmm. about it is terrifying uh, about your population with uh with this concept <laughs> of the last days yeah I mean, different religious groups kind of place different sorts of emphasis, right. uh, you know, in terms of like, when is it going to happen? How is it going to happen? What are the logistics going to be around it? But I will tell you that everything happening in the Middle East right now has brought up a lot with my own personal clients and then cases that I consult on. Um, because there is this recognition that it's, it's this twofold thing. They're watching their friends and family re you know kind of re react and respond in a certain way that feels um very maybe off-putting very confusing very inhumane you know insert yep. word here right but then they're also they also sometimes are very confused because this is the first time that they're facing something where they're maybe doing something or believing something yep. different than their family and there's also that fear of oh gosh but what if yeah. what if like i I'm wrong and and they were right and, and you know everything there. So there's a lot of complex things that are going on um with within just this what is happening currently yep. in our, you know, political climate and you know in the world. So it is it's just always very interesting to me. I um what is the word that I'm looking for? I a nihilistic or nihilistic, yep. you know, um I feel like the more I've just kind of been sitting back and observing over the last couple months, the more I'm convinced of this nihilistic viewpoint that so many high control religions have where we are rushing towards the demolish, de demolition of the world. We don't care what it takes to get there or who needs to be trampled over because that's going to usher in this, you know, second coming of our savior. And they create policies or block policies if they are going to come in the way of that. And um, yeah, I, it's, it's an interesting conversation. So I may be misremembering the, the definition of nihilism, but I, or is it a, not, I a thought nihilism is more yeah. like uh, it doesn't matter uh, versus. Yeah. So it'd be a, yeah nihilistic okay. yeah great but <laughs> yes misspoke but the, no it's okay it's yeah. i just want you know for my listeners mm -hmm. sake but there's so many toxic ideologies out there 
yeah. like uh, libertarianism. We should dismantle government. We should attack experts, mm. attack science, attack global climate warming as a crisis that's affecting all of us. And, yes. and, and we really need to come back to common sense and, and, and the golden rule and don't do to others what you mm -hmm. don't want done to us and realizing, you know, a dog doesn't want to pee or poo where they sleep. And, you know, like I'm into <laughs> dogs, so yeah. cage training yeah. when they're puppies and yep. we're, we're on one planet and we're polluting everything mm -hmm. And we're not mm -hmm. thinking yeah. with common sense that even biblically mm -hmm. that we're stewards. We're supposed right. to be taking care yeah. of creation, not mm -hmm. you know destroying. Yeah, it. it's this little twist that I realized a long time ago. You know, like the way I grew up, it was not necessarily a steward. It was that we were the masters oh. of, and it's just that one word difference, master versus steward. And it changes everything, yep. you know, that we're supposed to have mastery over this, which somehow then gives permission yep. really to do whatever you yep. want. And, and it doesn't matter because this world is fleeting and passing away and all of these things. Um, and it just, you, I didn't realize it, you know, obviously growing up, like the implications of that. And now we see it and go, wow, there's so much that has happened. Yep. We've destroyed. We have destroyed because we have mastered rather than stewarded. Yep. Very, very good. Mm -hmm. So do you see what mm -hmm. I see with uh, conspiracy theories and QAnon and, you know, flat earth societies and and 9-11 truthers and COVID is a hoax and all of that. Do you see people who've been taken in by that um, disinformation programming? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, personally, yes. And then professionally, most of my clients don't believe in that, but they have family members and friends. Um, and that was a real source of pain for them, especially during, you know, the beginning of the pandemic, for sure, that first year, sure. year and a half or so, it was a huge source of pain and a huge source of disconnection. Like we talked about with Trump, there was a real dividing, you know, like that was there was a division within relationships and families that was happening so overtly that had not really happened like in, in the U S like I that. I think it was done intentionally, frankly, by, by, Oh yeah. Yeah. Keep yeah. Going. yeah. I think so too. But, but then we saw this again happening like as an outflux yeah. of that. And there's just, there was a lot of pain with that and a lot of confusion, a lot of hurt that was happening. Um, and just not understanding why certain family members and friends would do or say or believe or not do and, and watching the toll that it took on relationships and having to practice boundaries in a way that they've never had to before. Yep. Um, you know, and that, that was, that was really hard. And yet, as you know, when we have this propensity towards, you know, being controlled and being in these systems of power and control and having mythical things happen like arcs and floods and things like that, it, there's some natural extension that can move into the conspiracy ter uh, theory territory right. yeah. quite easily. Yep, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So, um, mm -hmm. 
I, I, I'll just name it and then ask you your opinion, but I think social media is addictive. Mm. It's causing yeah. a lot of harm. It's causing anxiety, depression, suicidality, eating disorders, gender questioning, all mm -hmm. kinds of um, uh, things because people are not spending time in the real world with real people. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What do you think? Yeah, I hesitate to say it's all good or all bad because Me too. you know I don't like to be fundamentalist. I'm on social media, I can, so yeah. I can't say it's yeah, all bad. And we're doing a podcast yeah. right now. Yeah, and there's so many wonderful people that I have met, sure. even in real life, as a result of social media. So I don't want to take that away. Yep. And yet, I also realize that there are some parts to it that are not so shiny and and we're seeing exactly what you said uh, you know increases in anxiety and depression and ocd and body image and all of these things especially for you know adolescents and right. children who do not have the brain capacity to understand the difference between you know real it, what's actually real and what is not right. um and so and then and then on the flip side we're also seeing you know, things like attention span is, you know, going down like in schools yep. and there's different ways that teachers and students have to relate as a result of that. We do see disconnection within families, within friendships, yep. um, you know, and yeah, it's, it's hard. I don't know that we can ever go back, but, um, but I will say, you know, just having, I, well, you did too. We didn't grow up with the right. internet. You know, I, I wrote my papers on typewriters and, I, I, and <laughs> um, wasn't electric when I started either. That was no. a, a, an upgrade <laughs> electric yeah. and then word processing yeah. in 1982. I got a, a right. A, you know, one of yeah. those was like, Whoa, I can yeah. actually edit yeah. in, in this. Exactly. Right. So we we have this span of you know time and perspective that is vast you know and and so we we can see like wow this is how we got here and things like that I don't think there's going back and maybe that's okay there there like we said there's so many there are wonderful things about social media and yet I don't know that this is sustainable right. it's um, not I don't think personally relationally you know. Um, yeah. Well, TikTok I, I is we a Chinese to, app yeah. and they want to uh, undermine <laughs> America. Yeah. So why would we think that it's good if if they don't mm -hmm. do to their own people the same TikTok that they're doing to us? Right. Yeah. And so yeah. this yeah, is common I, sense. Yeah. And I, I, I'm mm -hmm. more on the progressive wing of things, but I, I think it needs mm -hmm. to be banned in the United States yeah. because it's a psychological warfare application mm -hmm. in my opinion and that said it certainly I'm on can TikTok. be yeah. at least my bite yeah. model is everywhere on tiktok yeah well and because we you and i and many others have realized that this is a valuable tool mm -hmm. to get information to people that may not otherwise have access exactly. you know which is beautiful. And so that's why I hesitate, you know, we can't be binary and say it's all good or it's all bad. And yet we, there do need to be, I think maybe some guardrails and some understanding. And I think, I think some time off screen does people very well. Yeah. And if you don't think you're addicted, <laughs> just, yeah. turn off your phone and your computer for yeah. a day and see what uh, happens. Just try 24 hour best. fast of social yep. media yep. and honestly people mm -hmm. are addicted dopamine dopamine addicted yep. 
And, um, you know, and my thing is it's your mind. You should control it. Don't let a technology (laughs) control it. Don't let another person or group control it. It's your life. It's your Mm -hmm. mind. And, uh, and Mm -hmm. turn off your phone an hour before you go to sleep and don't turn it on the minute you wake up in the morning. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, have a life. It's, I, I have a, an app blocker on my phone and it, I, and I have parameters to it. So everything is off at 10 PM. Like you can't even open the app. Like it's, it's wonderful. And I tell you what, I've been doing it for probably six to eight months now. I, I have it set for 10 o'clock. I count down the minutes until 10 o'clock because it's such a relief to be like, you know what, there's going to be no notifications. There's like, I can't get on social media. My life is my own. This is wonderful. It is. I've turned off my notifications a while ago because I can't get anything done. It's so great. If I have them on between, you know, just a total amount of things. Laura Anderson, Dr. Anderson, (laughs) thank you for When Religion Hurts You, Healing from Religious Trauma Mm -hmm. and the Impact of High Control Religion. Uh, you're, you're a coach, you, uh, are consultant, your organization Mm -hmm. is the, your founder and director of the center for trauma resolution and recovery. And we're going to do a blog and embed the video and we'll add links. Um, Mm -hmm. and, uh, I'll just add, I really believe former members of high abuse Mm -hmm. groups and relationships are the antibodies for humanity, mm. if we've experienced the loss mm. of our freedom and what is unhealthy, we can help yeah. others who haven't understood what's happening to them mm. understand it mm-hmm. and have things like real yeah. healthy boundaries and yeah. being able mm-hmm. to have an allergy to certainty. Like when you're saying, I, you, yes. you, a normal yeah. person says, well, what if, what if I'm yeah. wrong? That's normal. Yeah. <laughs> Keep that up. Yes. What? Because what, mm-hmm. I'm willing to change my mind on any topic mm-hmm. if there's evidence. Yeah. But be, if somebody mm-hmm. comes and says, this is the only way, or God says yeah. this is the only truth, mm-hmm. or this is the only blah, you just go, hold on a minute. <laughs> you know. Yes. Red flag. Yeah, red, <laughs> yes, red flag. Warning, warning. Do you remember yes. Lost in Space? Warning, danger, <laughs> Will Robinson. Danger, danger. Exactly. <laughs> it's like, That's what yeah, it is. And, yeah. and we can lift each other mm-hmm. up and we can steer humanity mm-hmm. back to what's common sense and sustainable mm-hmm. because we have yeah. one beautiful planet and we need to take right. care of of it and ourselves mm-hmm. and our bodies yeah. within mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. that environment. So last words mm. go to you. Beautiful. Yeah, no thank you very much. This has been a delightful conversation and yeah, I it's I feel like Again, going back to social media, one of the most beautiful things is that there's so many of us that are coming at it from a variety of directions. And I think that is so important because what resonates for one people person may or may not for another, and yet there's somebody for them, right? You know, and so to be able to have different people and different groups and different modalities and approaches and things like that, I think can be such a valuable thing. And I, I love, I've loved because of my book, being able to connect with so many people who are 
taking their own little niche yep. and they're plugging it in in a way that is so beautiful and supportive. And so I, I feel very yeah, grateful and that I women, get to do that as well. Women's rights are so mm -hmm. precious. They were hard fought mm -hmm. for and yes. they're mm -hmm. now political machines wanting to take away women's right to choose their health care and Mm -hmm. and 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 mm -hmm. and to legislate against gays and trans and other yeah. people and it's mm -hmm. like whoa let's let's uh worry yeah. about people who want to take yeah. away our rights in the name of their mm -hmm. religious freedom because in my right. opinion that yeah. isn't healthy religion no i would yeah. agree <laughs> thank you so much good thank you That's it for today's episode of The Influence Continuum. I've been your host, Dr. Stephen Hassan. Theme music for the podcast is by Nasser Malik. To keep up to date with me and happenings that I think are important, please visit my website at freedomofmind.com. There you'll find in-depth articles about cults, mind control, and other relevant topics. You can also find me on Twitter and Instagram at CultExpert. If you want to develop a comprehensive understanding of these topics, I highly recommend my books, Combating Cult Mind Control, Freedom of Mind, and The Cult of Trump, in that order. These books are a culmination of 45-plus years of experience and will really help you grasp the complex web of undue influence. I have also launched a new nine-hour online course for anyone interested in a deep dive into issues related to recovering from undue influence in all forms. While this course is designed for clinicians, everyone can benefit. If you're a former member, I congratulate you for your bravery and invite you to use the hashtag IGOTOUT and join our online community at IGOTOUT.org. Remember, love is stronger than mind control. And thanks for listening.